Hello and welcome to the Nirvana Principle Show. My name is Dr. Hassan Malik. I'm a psychiatrist based here in London. And today I'm very pleased to welcome you for our Star Wars Day special. May the 4th be with you. Well, technically this release is on the 3rd, but I'll take it. Uh, I'm very privileged and pleased that I have yet another close friend of mine after last month's episode who is in the studio with me on the show with you. You want to say hi, Amir? Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, welcome. Happy to have you here. Look at you on your best behavior when you're being recorded. <laughs> yes, well, uh, leave no evidence. <laughs> so, so Amir, Amir and I have been friends for a long time. I think we, we met in A-levels and both of us are also very proud nerds and geeks and we have slightly similar storylines we're both from Karachi and both of us are currently training in psychiatry in the UK um, you want to give a shout out to your crew Amir yes um, one of the psych trainees in Surrey and yeah please join us I think we need more more of us around here but like <laughs> that's you know this is not a it's not a job advert. We're here to talk about Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so tell me, what's your, um, what's your like earliest Star Wars memory? How did you get introduced to this? I think the first way I got introduced to it was um, there was this uh, secondhand bookstore that I used to frequent with my dad, and over there there was a bunch of magazines, and you know. There was a pile of magazines and I found some Star Wars magazines in there. And, you know, I was like, oh, what's this? You know, the spaceships look really cool. And my dad came over and he's like, oh, yeah, I used to watch Star Wars. I'm like, okay, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, I got introduced from a random secondhand Star Wars magazine. And, uh, yeah, that's how the story went. And, and the first episode chronologically, not chronologically, like first episode of Star Wars, episode one, um, mm. The Phantom Menace is was your first Star Wars mm. movie. Yeah, yeah, I saw it on a pirated VHS tape, you know. That's for... a videotape for you, for you, uh, yes. <laughs> for you new generation, <laughs> Gen Zers, okay? Yes, you know, we're, we're elder millennials, you know, <laughs> we've seen the world change. So. 90s so, Yeah, I yeah. saw episode one on a VHS tape and I didn't quite understand it. And more importantly, the ships in the magazine were not the same ships that were in the, when they were in episode one. Mm. Because the magazine was all X-Wings and Y-Wings and Star Destroyers. And I was like, mm. where are the Star Destroyers? Where are the TIE Fighters? <laughs> you know, mm. but obviously it was a different era. But then later on, I got access to DVDs and VCDs of episode four, five, six. Yeah. And yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I love, you know, I really, really love this franchise and everything that it talks about. Yeah, I think both of us uh, have had some good experiences, both with the canon as well as the expanded universe. Uh, one of my paternal grandfathers, who, who kind of introduced me to, again, a VHS tape of um, of A New Hope. So episode four was my first one. And it was it's kind of funny because he was like, this is when I was in Saudi Arabia and, and he was like super duper religious, super duper old. Like he was literally hunched over with like a stick and then he would never let us watch any movies. It would only be like Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry was number one. That was the only thing that he would allow or else we literally had to hide and pretend we don't watch movies because he was like super religious. And he was like, no, movies are just, you know, melt your brain. 
well, he went to England. I don't know why he went there and you know kudos to him and he was all he was he was super old when i met him and then you know he lived he lived for a good decade <laughs> so, so god uh, god god sure. bless him yeah yeah and then he went to england and he came back and he came back with like a vhs of a new hope and he was like yeah you guys should watch this and i'm like it blew my mind i'm like what movie should this be that this guy who's like watching movies is haram you know like you shouldn't even like like we we genuinely hated him when he was over because you're like ah oh, no tv for like two weeks it's guys like yeah 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 let's watch like a movie together and and yeah so i think i think he knew a good thing when he saw it you know <laughs> <laughs> quality only the highest quality yeah 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 he was, he was awesome. like yeah this is this is like you know this is similar to like stories of like prophets and and in and and that's that's kind of a lot of lot of the stories and i grew up with so it does make sense the kind of redemption arc it has mm-hmm. i feel like we have to make a call i will assume anyone who's hearing this or has clicked on this <laughs> knows about <laughs> star wars so we're, we're going to assume you are well versed with the lore yes. okay so mm-hmm. and you know who or or what they are or even if you're not maybe this will yeah. introduce you to some interesting um interesting characters things i've always wondered is that darth sidious okay emperor palpatine he's such mm-hmm. he like he's a good politician i'll give him that but the guy was like obviously evil he was a psychopathic mass murderer basically and he was part of this religious cult as well um which he hid but pe- other people didn't know that but then how was he able to rise to power or i i i feel like there's not it wouldn't be there are quite a few dark seriouses in in our world as well not in a galaxy far far away uh if if you get what i'm saying like mm-hmm. wh- why do such like evil people they uh rise to power what can like star wars teach us about that yeah that's that's a very good question in terms of how someone like him managed to get to that position of power why wasn't he you know given that you know they had a whole jedi order and a whole you know de- democratic republic mm-hmm. set up to prevent that you know how did this one man seize everything 
Hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of the credit is given to, you know, how Palpatine personally did all of those things. But we have to remember that this, the plan the Sith were enacting was a thousand year old plan. Hmm. And he was from the, the Sith basically at once upon a time, a thousand years ago, before the end of episode one were like the Jedi Order, they had hundreds and thousands of members. And, you know, but the problem with the Sith was that they're all hungry for power and at the end of the last war, the last surviving Sith decided that, okay, they can only ever be two. One master to hold the power and an apprentice to grave it, because that's all you really, really need. You don't need armies and armies and armies of dark yeah. side force users. Darth, <laughs> Darth Bane, right? Darth Bane was yes. like... Darth Bane hot. started rule of two and... So it was, it was also was, like the, the force is kind of shared between all of the Sith, but if it's only two Sith, then it's kind of concentrated mm. in two Sith. That was also part of the idea. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the idea was they didn't want any competitors mm. with them because they wanted all the power. If, you know, if there's 10 Sith Lords, then, mm. you know, obviously, as you know, when your nature is to create power, you want to destroy all your competitors, even though it would mm. be beneficial for you to stay in an alliance together. Yeah. So the Sith basically decided that, you know, when the power, you know, they wanted ultimate power. Yeah. So they established the rule of two. And over the course of a thousand years, they infiltrated the the very structure of society. You know, they mm. had alliances with crime lords. They had the alliances with, you know, they manipulated events for a thousand years in order to put the Republic in such a fractured and fragile state that it was easy for someone like Palpatine to be ready to just snatch power from it, which seemed like, you know, in the blink of an eye. I would be, I would really want to do like a dark triad test on that guy. You know, I think he would max it <laughs> I out. Don't, I, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, he, so there's, 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 a, there's a novel about how Palpatine, his first name is Sheev, S-H-E-E-V. So, you know, he's just like the guy who shivs you in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, he, you know, his story is quite interesting as well. He comes from a wealthy family of political background from the planet of Naboo. Mm. But, you know, he's the youngest member of that family. And, you know, he's felt like he's been overlooked and all of these things, you know. And then Darth Plagueis, who's, uh, you know, who, whose per- uh, ex- external persona is that of, you know, a rich trade and a trade envoy person. From- mm. You know, so it takes an interest to go, okay, this guy has a, got a lot of anger and, you know, he's hungry for power. So he manipulates him and seduces him to the dark side. And how Palpatine basically becomes... So, so, they, so they, just, they just like run into each other? So they run into each other, uh, you know, by chance or... You because know, the guy's a traitor, the, the so he probably like would because, be trading you know, so with basically, someone. Yeah. yeah, he met him through his, you know, he met his family mm. through... You know, some trade, you know, whatever. Trade, trade links with people. some political people on Naboo. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And then he noticed this young man who's, you know, who's an outsider in his family, he seems to have great potential in the force and a lot of anger. So, you know, he starts grooming him into, you know, explaining him, okay, you know, what do you know about the force, you know? And this is the time where the Jedi exist openly and, you know, in a large number. So... A talk of a secret power that is even stronger than what the Jedi have would be very interesting to a young rich man with, mm-hmm. you know, with, with ambitions. Who, yes, with a great ambition. Mm. So the way Palpatine becomes a Sith Lord is basically 
his master, Darth Plagueis, basically tells him and manipulates him. You know, the, the Sith have to basically kill someone or something in order to become so, something that something's very dear to them in order to become a Sith Lord, become an apprentice, Sith apprentice. Yeah. So Palpatine massacred his entire family and then became a Sith Lord. And then he was given the name Darth Sidious. And then he was trained by his master in the ways of the dark side while being groomed as a politician as well, using his this tragedy that had happened because he made it look like, you know, pirates had killed his family and he was a sole surviving fa- member of the Palpatine family, the, mm. the noble Palpatine family of, of mm. Naboo. Mm. And he used this event to get nominated to the senator of, of, for Naboo to the Galactic Republic Senate. So his entrance to the political arena was planned. And even that was, you know, an event, you know, a choreographed event to get him into that, that theater of power. Yeah, um, Machiavellian for sure. That's mm-hmm. that's that's one of our of our dark triad. So it <laughs> just depends on how you will get power, anything and everything mm-hmm. you have to do or say to achieve mm-hmm. dominion over your fellow person is mm-hmm. is acceptable. Yeah, yeah. So the Sith don't think of anyone as worthy of respect, despite except the one who has more power than before and than them. So for them, the entire galaxy is basically something, you know, tools to be manipulated mm. and used in their quest for ultimate power. Um, so, so it does sound like sociopathic or psychopathic, like, you know, like the, these mm-hmm. rules are just mm-hmm. for others to follow. They don't apply to me. Indeed. indeed. And another thing to note, interestingly, about Darth Sidious is that, you know, he was trained to use a lightsaber, but Sith had come so far ahead in the past thousand years that they just... It was not something, a skill that they needed to learn, but it was just something that they learned because their rivals, their nemesis, used them and they wanted to be better at that, at that to humiliate them. So he, Palpatine kept his lightsabers in very close proximity to him and they were made from the, the most expensive materials in the galaxy. And they were kept in these gigantic statues in the room of the Chancellor's office where he met with the Jedi Council <laughs> hundreds of times over the course of the Clone Wars. So he kept his lightsabers right under their noses, hidden as, you know, an act of contempt and, you know, showing, you know, that he's so much better than them that, you know, he can keep these like these weapons right under their noses and they don't even know it. So that shows, you know, strong narcissism that he has such high opinion of himself and such low regard for everyone else. Yeah, so that's number two of our dark triad lists. Okay, what's left? What's left? Sadism. Well, what's, what's sadistic? Sadistic. I don't think it goes enough. Goes far enough to show. Um, so one of the things that the Sith follow is a tradition of you know, how does one become an you know how does an apprentice become a master? So usually how it goes is the apprentice starts training their own apprentice in secret. And when they feel that they are strong enough, they then strike against their master and take over the mantle of master and then bring out their, their hidden apprentice from the shadows. So while he was being trained, you know, he saw that Darth Plagueis, who was obsessed with, you know, uh, discovering the secret to Generally. stopping people from dying. Yeah. So he, Darth Plagueis actually figured out a way to do it. But then... He had become so paranoid about his 
grip on power that he had stopped sleeping entirely and he would never fall asleep. Hmm. And their plan was that when he's become elected chancellor, then he would basically cede power to him through a series of political maneuvers to his master and he would be elected, you know, Supreme Chancellor. But obviously he's not going to do that. He's like, why should I do this? <laughs> so he, the night he becomes elected chancellor, he, you know, he brings some, uh, you know, some wine for his master, you know, to celebrate, you know, their culmination of the power of thousand year plan. And his master drinks the wine. And it's been years and years since he's drank anything. But he, this is the moment of celebration. Why not? You know, the plan has come to fruition. Yeah. Gets drunk. He goes, closes his eyes and Palpatine stabs him in the back. Damn. So this is <laughs> this is going on during like the main start during the so these the events happen. The, the, no, so this event of him becoming the the Sith Master is happening in the background in Episode One. Whoa. So the night he becomes the Supreme Chancellor is the night he also becomes a Sith Master. So you know, and then brings Darth Maul out of the shadows. Sorry, Count Dooku as as an apprentice at the time. I think like one one of the things is also that he always stepped up or he was seen to be stepping up in the sense that, you know, like there's this great tragedy on Naboo and this whole family has been massacred and okay, he's like, yeah, okay, so I, uh, you know, we need like a leader to stop this from happening and I will be the person to do it because I've suffered and I know what it's like when the war starts the first like rebellion that that's how i see it with the what's the word for them uh separatists separatists i was i was gonna say technocrats but anyway so <laughs> the, the separatists to their like droid armies um and they they invade naboo his home world and he's like okay dude, oh, you know oh, the trade I, federation you meant yeah. the trade federation is what i meant yeah, yes. yeah. so so they so, um so they um so they go. So he goes like, yeah. So my my, it's you know we're at a galactic war, and my home has been the one again which has been invaded, and you know all my people have been killed. So yeah, now I will again assume this power to prevent this from happening again. So one of one of the things is also interesting to note was that he wasn't challenged. Like even people who were good didn't go like, okay, yeah, you know the galaxy is in trouble. It's time for me. Doctor Malik will now lead, you know, <laughs> or something, you know. Like, yes. oh, I don't know. This so, fuck so, up. What if I mess it up, you know? I, I want to be responsible so yeah, for a whole yeah, galaxy. So he, he guarantees his victory by first shaping the events, yeah, and then exploiting the the, the consequences. He is the one who tore yeah, yes, unchallenged. So that's a level of you know, just ex- exploiting and manipulating billions of bi- billions of people at the you know through these political maneuvers and you know even then and finally in episode two when the threat of the republic it means split into two he is like i will be not i will not let the republic that has stood for a thousand years be split into two you know that he declares and you know he's hailed as a hero and you know then he manipulates senator binks <laughs> to fucking Sandra his Bing. true master <laughs> his true master uh, but you know but no not really he basically creates a situation where he says you know I'm sure Senator Amidala would have voted for this if you know if she were here you know exploiting this poor hapless hapless beans naivety to proposing a vote 
to give him all emergency powers. Whatever the hell that means, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you know, he accepts it with great hesitance and you know humility because he loves democracy and he will. And what is his first act as Supreme Chancellor with, with all emergency with the power is to create an army. Hmm. And you know, an army that he's been you know growing for a you know ten years at least. And you know, while playing the other side as well with with the separatists creating a conflict in which he through some series of corrupt acts and you know basically taking away at power he did not become emperor overnight he became emperor over the course of the clone wars which was over 10 years but he so how, how could the republic have stopped him from happening do you think it was inevitable or were they to blame for not seeing this happen he exploited the crisis. He exploited the fear of the crisis, the threat of destruction, the threat of war, the threat of planets breaking away. He just, and he, you know, the Clone Wars cartoons, basically, I think, is possibly some of the best Star Wars that's ever been written. Uh, you know, animation, yeah, you know, whatever the technology was at the time. But, you know, the story it tells is quite extensive and, you know, and quite eye-opening in how Palpatine manipulated all of these people and, you know, the, the fears of the citizens of the galaxy. When people fear for their lives, they don't care about their freedom, generally. Mm. And he exploited that fear. Yeah, you know, when, 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 the, when, when the bomb alarms are going off, then you're okay. Or when there's like air raids happening, you're okay with like staying indoors and not going out at night, you know. <laughs> uh, this uh, World War II example for you, speaking of uh-huh. galactic conflicts. Um, so what's the, uh, I, I know we're, we're near the end of this, th- this segment. Uh, so tell me, is there hope? You know, do we have, how can we be our own Luke Skywalker and prevent Emperor Palpatine from, from taking over? Or how, how, do we, how do we deal with psychopaths, pe- people who have planned and they're manipulating the system to, um, to just get more power, more dominion? I think, you know... Speaking in you know semantical terms on you know you know it's it's easy to say oh you don't speak to each other communication knowing what the other people are talking about those kind of things but I think practically speaking it's kind of hard to actually put it into you know get practical aspects of it because you know every successful politician or leader has to have those tendencies in order to get to the position where they are. Normal people don't want to become prime ministers or presidents or generals. Mm. Normal people want to just have a comfortable life with a good home mm. and adequate, you know, you know, they just want enough. They don't want, ex, you know, and certainly no one uh, on, off the street cares, you know, how everyone else lives their lives, mm. much less become, you know, much less have power or control over millions and millions of people. Like no one, <laughs> ordinary people don't seek to become you know, autocratic or, rulers. Or even even have that kind of, I want to call it, you can call it confidence, but I'm, I want to just go out and limp here and call it a bit of like narcissism that, okay, I will be able to do it and I'm the best person mm. to do it. In fact, I deserve mm. to be the one who's in control telling these like mm-hmm. mindless drones what to do with their mm-hmm. time in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it comes back to, I don't know, since we're taking, talking about uh, semantics and it, it, it sounds cliche but i think yeah i'm not saying it more from a psychiatrist point of view but maybe just some 
from maybe more of a historian point of view, when you know, when when the, um, you know, when the intelligent or when those who know what's going on, when 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 you see injustice, uh, and you stay silent, you know, that's when. I don't know, there's, there's like a good quote for this. Uh, let me just like Google it. All that takes for good for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. So, so nothing doesn't have to be that I'm going to be, you know, want, want to be prime minister tomorrow and start in an election. It could be something very simple as something in your office, you know, could mm-hmm. be something on the bus or in the crowd when you see like there's some wrong being done. I'm not saying be a hero and whip out a lightsaber. But uh, but I'm just saying that if you see that there is someone who's abusing their authority or their power, mm. then and and you know that it's going to be difficult to speak up and you'll be challenged. And a lot of, obviously someone's in authority. How would you challenge them? Who are you to tell them? But that's what they're kind of preying on. So I would say to trust yourself to know the difference between right and wrong. And sometimes when things seem the most things will seem the most obvious that they'll have to change and they'll be like, okay, this is what has to be done. I know it, but it's scary. That's probably the time that's more important that you do it. I, I don't know if they, I think only the three, like there were three senators who were actually like try, going against like Palpatine till the very end, um, mm-hmm. who were mm-hmm. saying that uh, this guy's wrong. Why are they, why are they killing off the clones? Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and it was, it's quite cool actually. Like even some of the more recent, like bad batch episodes, they, mm-hmm. they have, have you watched it? Or, yeah. yeah. Oh, it. oh man, I wanted to spoil it for you, but <laughs> the, good try, good try. Uh, like, so close, so close. Um, but, but there are like, you're right. There, even episode three, there's deleted scenes where they talk about, um, how, you know, bad man, Medalla, um, the Senator from Alderaan, um, Antilles, ba- sorry, Bail Grana and um, Mon Mothma from another planet, Chandrila. They formed something called the Delegation of a Thousand, which is, you know, after the Clone Wars have ended, basically, mm-hmm. or is about to draw to a close, they're about to go and approach Palpatine and ask him to surrender the power. But, you know, these are, there's a whole, sub, you know, this, all of this went on the, on the cutting room floor. Unfortunately, oh, I never man. made it real. <laughs> but you know, there's a whole plot line about how Palpatine also torpedoes that by simple threats of violence by saying that you know he's all the people. You know, these are the three main senators who wanted to challenge him, but you know, they had a backing of a thousand planets as well. And you know, he went after all the influential ones and those senators. And he said, you know, if you, you know. You know, do you want to be excluded from the trade deal? Do you want your families to be safe? Dude, that that guy was like what I kind of like. I want to say admire, if that's not too bad. Uh, it's not too evil. <laughs> term. It doesn't, I hope I'm, it doesn't make me a horrible person. But one of the things that he he knew time very well. He knew that mm. okay, I'm going to get these emergency powers, but I need to rush and I'll become emperor, whatever. But I need to rush to make the Death Star so my authority won't be challenged. All he needed to do was mm. blow up one planet and it would shut up mm. a thousand planets. You know, the other 999 mm. would be like, ah, oh, man, nah. You know? <laughs> but nah. then it goes back to the yeah. same thing. It, it was when he, when he made that Death Star and when everything was like, oh my God, this guy is just going to disguise destroying like, you know, f- fucking planets now is when the rebellion started. And that was probably the most difficult time for it to start. Not not when it started. Yeah. Sorry, I, I maybe maybe I should say when they had their kind of like 
most significant the battle yeah, until yeah, yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was the point. most significant battle that they had to fight until that point in time because it was yeah. annihilation that was facing them. Um, so yeah, so so it goes back that you know sometimes doing the right thing is probably the most difficult thing to do, and it might be that there's lots of odds against it. So if you know. Um, so yeah, I was going to say, if you are part of the rebellion, <laughs> keep going. How do you know that things are bad and you should form, you should join basically a revolution, Amir? How? <laughs> and I say that as two like Muslim men talking. <laughs> what is the holy war in reality? No, no, no. Okay, no, no. Holy, but technically, just, the, the just gen- a disclaimer, you know, for you know, to please don't refer us to prevent. We are, you know, we have we hold moderate views. We don't believe in declaring war against <laughs> anyone. anyone. No one, never. What is war? Um, yeah, but then, but then we do live in like difficult times. So I, I mean, for me, uh, it was. Uh, I don't feel like I was politically aware in Pakistan, but then I feel like much more politically affected in the UK. You know, there's different narratives about. Um, everything from being being South Asian to being brown to being Pakistani. Uh, mm. There's about even being doctors, you know, we're just coming off some junior doctor strikes. Uh, so mm. I was like, okay, do I, I really had to think about it. I'm like, okay, am I, am I like striking because all of my other colleagues are? Do I believe in this cause? Um, you know, do I think this is, this is right? So I was like, okay, how... I don't know, it expanded my horizons a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm, um, 
I need to, how do I make the call of what to resist against and what to be like, okay, yeah, this is how the world is. Whatever the powers that be are saying is absolutely right. <laughs> I think you're asking an interesting question about, you know, what happens to people? Why do we take such drastic measures? You know, when do you rebel against, you know, tyranny? And I think you'll find throughout Star Wars, actually, that, you know, the reason why Palpatine was able to maintain control was because a lot of people were afraid. But then there comes a point in someone's life that, you know, the tyranny goes a step too far. You know, Luke's uncle and aunt were killed. Uh, that's why he decided to, you know, go with Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, he, he literally had nothing left there anymore. So, you know, you're right that, you know, until it's affecting you directly and personally, you know, at a place where it hits you hard, it's hard for people to rise to action. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fight for the rights of other people, things, you know, and anyone who becomes like, you know, an activist or, you know, that's our standing up for radical change, you know, like, you know, we have and in the current climate, we have, you know, lots of people start standing up for their rights. Um, people worried about climate change and demanding change. In large numbers, we just had the big one, the big protest by Extinction Rebellion and, you know, various other climate change organizations demanding a citizen's assembly to, you know, enact change because it is, it is hard and it's a scary, scary thing to do to stand up to structures of power because it's not advantageous, you know, you're, you're starting off from a weak position, you're fight, fighting against people who have power and authority and will be can make your life very very painful and difficult mm. and if not yours and the people you love you care about mm. you know yeah and it's type of rebellion that you have you know because people get radicalized not by ideologies but by personal incidents you know that's what i feel personally as well you know like it's not that you know talking about you know people you know people like who become suicide bombers, mm. most of them have been on the receiving end of a drone mis- a drone attack or something else traumatic, you know, their, you know, invasion of their homeland. And, you know, mm. even that did not phase a lot of people, but, you know, destruction of their family and their property, you know, personal violence against them, sexual assault, uh, you know, humiliating punishments like at Abu Ghraib at Guantanamo. Um, that's what drives people to taking bolder and radical action mm-hmm. and, you know, to fight against, you know, because after that point, they have not much left. They're not, they have barely have anything to lose. And that's where it becomes dangerous, isn't it? Because then you tend to fight fire with fire. You see, you, you lose perspective of who you're fighting against and what you're fighting against. Your only objective becomes to win and overpower your enemy because you have been stripped of power and you yeah, know. it's a it's a classic you know one 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 man's one person's rebellion is the other person's freedom fighter is it just a matter of limits i think one of the interesting things that the new star wars stuff has come off so okay i really love andor uh, mm-hmm. and i thought that was like like you're saying about the clone wars i thought andor is some of the best like film stuff including like the what was that middle movie rogue one 
I thought, yeah, that was much more balanced view. Like, you know, it's not just good versus evil, Jedi versus bad stuff. The inverted commas, good guys, the, re- the rebellion who we're rooting for in this in this, in this this saga are do some pretty messed up stuff. They murder, they kill, mm. they blow mm-hmm. up stuff. There's some, you know, clone mm-hmm. troopers have families, you know, they're just... Um, Mm. It, it's interesting because I read somewhere that one of the reasons, like the, people do, like ha- are curious that okay, the you see Han and Leia kill a bunch of st- stormtroopers, but we never really care, you know. We're like, yeah, you mm. know, those those guys deserve to die. But then one of one of the psychology tricks that uh, George Lucas used was was just the uniform itself. They're just like a faceless horde. They're not actually genuinely people that you are. Um, that these guys so there is just a mask it's a uniform so they're all part of they represent the empire so it's not a person they're killing mm-hmm. it's uh they're mm-hmm. destroying a piece of the empire so that mm-hmm. makes us root for them yeah yeah i think you're right in that sense that you know the rebels when they blew up the death star they killed i think around two million imperial personnel <laughs> that's quite you know but that's you a lot of people but then the, the the Death Star blew up an entire planet. That's even more number of people. So, so tit for tat. I, well, tit for tat or you know survival. I I think so. But it's a question of you know. I think it's kind of relatable to the trolley problem. Where you know the dilemma is whether do you kill one person or do you kill ten? You yeah. know, that's that's a question that comes out comes to mind. You know, yes, you know, what is the the, the, the evil people are fewer in number. So the trolley problem is that there's like a try. I'm sure everyone knows, but I'll I'll just say it anyway, just just for the sake of it. So you you are are the person with the switch, and there's a train coming, and there two there's two tracks the train can go on. On one of them, there's ten people, and on one of them is one person. So mm-hmm. just given that information. And you have the train has to go one way. That's the only, you you can't stop mm. the train. It's just the mm. the limitation is that you have to choose. So I think most people I like to think <laughs> most people they be like okay if someone has to die better one person die than ten people mm. die. You know that's just simple maths and it's logical and rational, and no one would say that you did the wrong thing. Yeah. But what's the caveat? What if we switch it around a little bit, Amir? Yeah, what if the person that has to die is someone who is your friend? Mm. Or, you know... Stop picturing me, if... Amir. Don't picture me. <laughs> I, I hope I never find myself as a lone <laughs> like, uh, Oh, man, what, I'm going to die alone. What, and what choice Amir's... is that? Hassan, you know, Hassan, why don't you say your, you know, say your prayers? <laughs> I'll yeah, give I... you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I just feel sad. Like, even if I am the one person tied to it, I would already feel like I should die just because I'm like, I don't even have 10 people who I, I'll be killed with, you know. <laughs> don't even know that many people. Uh, but yeah, but exactly. So so then if if you have the same problem where you have to choose between one person dying or 10 people dying, but you know the one person and the 10 are strangers, that makes it much more complicated. It does, it does, because, you know, you stage the states of war, you know, the enemy is just that, reduced to that one word, the enemy mm. in conflicts. You don't, you know, if you see them as humans, then you're not likely to fight effectively against them. Mm. They have to be, you know, perceived as monsters, as things to be overcome and defeated, and you have to feel good about doing that in order to do the horrible things that war makes people do. Yeah. Um, 
the question of whether it is right to rebel or not is, you know, the question that, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with, you know, in states of conflict, like, you know, like quasi or like, you know, or in dictatorships, like, you know, like somewhere like, you know, in North Korea, is it right to stand up to North Korea, to Kim, <laughs> to Kim Jong-un? You can say from sitting here in London, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we should do that. But if you, you know, the punishment that he employs is for political crimes, the punishment is um, you and your seven generations, I think is exclusively translated. So not only you get imprisoned, but every, that seven generations before you, after uh, after you will remain in prison for a political, you know, so that's a high, high, high price for anyone to say. Lots of babies in the prison. Yeah. yeah, so you basically wipe out an entire lineage, you, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like some of it's obviously social, some of it's politics, and some of it's just power games. And I think that's, that kind of, that kind of brings us back in a, in a, in a strange way uh, to, another, to, to the point where should you make a change? Okay, so you were talking about Extinction Rebellion and, you know, like, mm -hmm. I think last week there was someone at the snooker championships just, like, mm -hmm. resting in their own way or a lot of... Uh, we're just using climate as an example or some of the politics stuff as, as an example. But one is that, A, should you rebel? Should you also just, like, you know, next time there's a cricket match, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but when is okay I don't, think I, I don't think i would survive interrupting a cricket match i oh think just, just for the, the listener just for the listener i don't know if you know someone like this but amir has never played sports in his life never he's never wanted to if he has been found and he hasn't even been found near the arena okay but but he's just Anyway, so just fun fact, fun fact from Abir about you. So the cricket yes. analogy is lost on him. He's like, why would I be there anyway? <laughs> I would if I was protesting something. But anyway, so so one of the questions is that, okay, do you, um, do you rebel? And the second thing is that, is will you be effective? Like some of the things I think now... Um, as a 90s kid growing up, there were a lot of like conspiracy theories. And as I've grown up, I'm like, damn, a, a significant chunk of them, a, a significant number were actually true. It was all like the CIA and there were just like different different things or there are like secret <laughs> agents and stuff like that. You know, Call of Duty was not wrong. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, it, it is. It's just painting. I'm like, OK, I just had like two channels growing of, of, of news growing up and I didn't really care mm -hmm. about it, to be honest. Um but now kind of the facade has worn off is that, okay, people with money and power, they make certain things and mass media does manipulate us. Like in the UK, uh, I was just reading this recently, the, what what should I say, the, the reliability of the media in terms of do people really believe what they hear on the media is, is, is the second worst in the world. That means that most people don't trust anything the media is, is telling them, just like state channels and, and stuff like that. Um, so there's there's no trust. So so what that extrapolating from that you're like okay I don't agree with what these people are doing and they're making an active chance they're they're making active choices to change the way I think and to, for whatever reason like I don't trust this person and what they're try if they're communicating with me then it's just to make me you know to influence me. So can I even make a difference against this huge like? global force or or this you know in in 
in Star Wars term, it's it's just like a whole universe, a whole galaxy. There's an empire, and mm. what what drives Luke to change, to join the rebellion? I think what drove Luke to join the Empire was, you know, the fact that the Empire personally hurt him. They mm. took away his family. Um, you know, they they killed his uncle and aunt, the only place he ever knew. And, you know, before that, you know, in the movie earlier, that you know, Luke's actually talking about joining the Imperial Academy. You know, mm. becoming a, you know, becoming pilot. a TIE fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what his dream was. But, you know, now that this empire has come and destroyed his home for something trivial to droids, you know, this is an empire that could rule the entire galaxy. Why are they so, you know? So the violence of it, I think, pushed him personally hmm. to that, uh, to to becoming a rebel. I'm just smiling because I think, like, in the movies, he got over it really fast. You know, he joined, well. he, joined he just ran away <laughs> with, like, this old Jedi and this hot girl. And he's like, okay, I'm so, I, I, I you know, I had this nice, like, clip of me looking off in the sunset. <laughs> and that's it. I guess I'm a rebel now. Um, but, yeah, but then that's, like, I'm, I'm using Luke as an example. But then we see a lot more of that background in Andor. And and we see yeah. like what are the series of events like this person mm-hmm. was not this person always had like a life of crime and they were good mm-hmm. at violence, and but then even in even with that skill set they found uh, a place for themselves. Yeah, and talking about you know how the rebellion started, you know like the the other animated series in Star Wars Rebels and uh, more recently the Bad Batch, the show and portray the violence that, you know, all of these people all over the galaxy experience at the hands of the Empire. You know, the main character in the Rebels, Ezra Bridger, his parents are imprisoned when he was a young boy, when, he, when you know, basically he was a toddler. Mm-hmm. And he's been living on the streets as a result of that. Yeah. Um, Andor had, you know, his early life stripped away by, you know, by presumably the Empire or, or the Republic even. But like, you know, he's looking for his sister. And in the course of that, he's tortured and imprisoned and subjugated to humiliating punishment. Ezra Bridger, you know, basically the story of Ezra Bridger, just very briefly, is that, you know, he's a young boy in a planet called Lothal, which has been basically been taken over by the Empire slowly through first politically, then militarily. And he's fighting against it because he wants the Empire to get off the, his, his home planet. Um, and through the course of that, he meets a, a, a crew of smugglers, which include a Mandalorian, a, an alien called Lassad species, and you know a pilot, a, a, a droid, and a Jedi in hiding. Mm. So they basically form this group together, and they start you know doing raids and things like that. You know they start disrupting the Empire's activities. But you know what drives them to do it is the fact that they want the people around them to have liberty to live their lives how they want to. And, you know, it culminates, the first season culminates, or the second season culminates, in the fact that, you know, the Empire is clamping down hard and coming after them. And, you know, they just send out a transmission, and all he's talking about is, you know, have some, you know, having hope that things can be better. So that is the other act of, you know, reason for people rebelling is because they are dissatisfied of the way their lives are right now, and they have hope that things can get better and you know there is a possibility of a better better life if you have no hope about things then you know then why would you be motivated to make any change 
So it, it's that's the other contributing factor in people rising up against structures of power. It's for they believe this this in a, in a different world. They, they believe in the possibility of a of a better world for themselves and their fellows. Yeah, I, I mean the uh, some of this stuff just like the kind of the I was actually I I thought I'd do some like reading on the ethics of resistance, but then I just ran mm. into some French philosophers. Mm. <laughs> Once you've reached French philosophy, you should like give it a rest. You know, like it's it's just there the 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 the, the the hole is mm. starting, you know. <laughs> you mm. are. You mm. thought you'd gone deep, buddy. Okay. Mm. Um, mm. So mm. then, uh, I'm more of a Noam Noam Chomsky guy as far as the, um, as far as like the philosophy of like social politics and stuff stuff comes in, but it is like, what what I do know is that a very simple like maybe for you and I, some of our morality is more religious or maybe it's cultural etc but then even just removing everything out of out of that picture okay removing conditioning removing religion etc and the very basic sense you can tell right from wrong is like uh is okay would you want this to happen to you mm-hmm. would, would you want this to happen to someone you care about and if everyone did this would it make society a better place or a worse place so yeah. so I think that's just one way to I'm I'm not saying we have all the answers and obviously depends on context but if you are asking yourself those questions then that's one of the litmus tests it must pass you know murder is wrong no one, mm-hmm. no one you would not want to be killed by someone so that they can acquire your things um mass murder is wrong just because you're of a certain way you look the way you feel the way you talk you know so then you mm-hmm. wouldn't want to be targeted because of that that's just who you are you didn't there's nothing wrong with that um mm-hmm. i i would say that i like the direction star wars is going now it's much more complex and mm-hmm. there's there's much there's more perspectives rather than okay these are the good guys these are the bad guys and yeah some people are always good and some people are always bad um mm-hmm. there there is there is a lot more gray there mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's you know having the ability to see different perspectives i think is a key characteristic in you know having a peaceful world being able to see okay i, I see your point of view as well as in you know the people you disagree with tolerance. It's, yes tolerance it's it's hard for people to say that you know i can disagree with you but still accept that you have your own point of view because it does you know because everyone wants to have quote unquote capital t the truth um, well there are certain facts i'm not you know i'm not saying <laughs> gravity is 9.8 meters per second square on planet earth that is a fact certain things are facts but you know there are perspectives and there are ideas which should be respected yeah. to build a more tolerant and pluralistic society you know, you're right. The rebels do questionable things during their the rebellion. You know, you could you could you know from their perspective, they're terrorists and insurgents. Mm. From the empire's perspective, yeah, you know, that are build that are destroying the peace and security and order that the empire has brought, and you know they're rebelling against a, a secure security. Yeah. So, what do we say to that? And 
the question is yes, yes, because during the during the rebellion, during Andor, and I hope as we see more in the coming season, as we saw a bit from from the way saw Guerrero from, uh, operates during Rogue One and other episodes, especially in the Bad Batch. Um, you know, he's basically wanton destruction of Imperial property without any means, <laughs> without any, you know, just send, just to send them a message, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah. yes, but is that okay to kill, you know, and your question earlier, you know, whether it's okay for Han, Leia and Luke to go around shooting all the Imperial, uh, you know, all the stormtroopers just because they're wearing a mask. It's it, there's you know there's no right or wrong answer because each situation is unique, you know if someone's trying to kill you, you do fight back and if you kill them in the perspective in the in the process is that murder as well, or you know there is a such thing as self defense. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge is to fight honorably all the time, and it's easier said than done, and I think during conflict we you know because you are in physical danger yourself, you know, those sorts of rational arguments and questions of morality go out the window during the heat of the moment. Um, I mean, there is like, I feel, yeah, just to, um, I would be really cool to see kind of like a pacifist in, in the Star Wars universe. I don't know if that would, that would float, but yeah, I, I literally can't think of anyone who had, Literally, there's no violence except someone who's a victim in Star Wars. You know, mm. like even like kind of like Padme, she's supposed to be, you know, peace loving. <laughs> she's from a planet. Yeah, 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 but then she also like you know just picks up like a, uh, <laughs> it's like a gun and starts shooting some droids. Well, Again, she's shooting. Know, she's shooting droids. So yeah. <laughs> if, the, a- question, if yeah. the AI takes over, they're gonna come back that you said that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's just droids. They're fictional droids, my AI overlord, not yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, conceived out of our feeble human minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgive us. Forgive um, us our sacrilege, oh great AI. Oh, uh, no, I think when AI does function, I think it'll be more like C3PO and we just want it to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I don't need your help. Okay, just like, just get out of my way, you stupid machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, okay. So I feel like um, uh, let's. Uh, so we've talked a bit about the kind of the socio politics and the morality of a rebellion. Okay, and how it has some, I guess, some food for thought. You know, we're not gonna make any uh, proclamations. proclamations. Not that it's just not just because we're on the radio. <laughs> Uh, but also just because um, we just want to give you some food for thought, you know, and trust that you'll come to the right conclusions and continue to to challenge all the thoughts, whether they're external or internally acquired, uh, to see what is the morality of resistance. <laughs>
So Amir, um, that's about all the time we have today. I I do feel that I enjoyed this. Uh, it it just feels like we're just having like a normal the conversation that we usually have on our phone call, except this time we recorded it. <laughs> oh, you were very welcome, and it was great fun having a talk about all of this. I think we've distilled a lot of conversation we had all over the number of years into this <laughs> podcast nicely and i hope our your listeners enjoy it as much as we do just talking about it may the force be with you boom <laughs> <laughs>